Amen? What to do at church. But the first thing, obviously, that we need to start talking about is what is church? Right? What is church? Um, and so we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. We'll talk about the mission of the church. And then we'll talk about, you know, these things that we have to do when we are in church. If you would turn with me to uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. We use this verse generally to talk about uh, when we talk about, you know, when we talk, you know, in marriage seminars and so on. Um, but, but I want to talk about the other side of this verse. This, uh, chapter 5, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27. Um, it says, husband, love your wives. So I'm not going to talk about husband loving their wives, right? Uh, but I'm going to talk about this part. It says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, but I want you to note the following. I'm reading in, uh, in the NAS, NASB. That he might sanctify her. That he might cleanse her. Another version says that he might make her holy. So, Jesus loved the church. He gave himself up for the church. For the purpose of making her holy. Not in heaven. Here. It says, with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27. That he might present her to himself. So, so Jesus is working on presenting him to himself a gift. And this gift, this verse now tells us what it looks like. It says he will present her to himself a glorious church. Right? And then it tells us the nature. What does this glorious church look like? It says, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I know I'm old school. Um, so Ronawi grew up with verses like this being preached on and all the time. Sometimes people get a bit uneasy when we talk about holiness. But this is why Jesus died. He gave himself up for the church. Right? To produce a holy people. I'm convinced that uh, the theology of going to heaven has done us a lot of damage. Christianity is not about going to heaven when we die. We are not buying a ticket to a place called heaven. 
The Bible says God was in Christ reconciling the world not to heaven, but to himself. And so Paul then says, be reconciled, talking to Christians, be reconciled to God. Live every day in a relationship with this God that you are reconciled to. And so, Azalana, my message this morning is that the appropriate response of the church to this message, to this mission of Christ, of producing a glorious church, not having not any wrinkle spot or any such thing, is a cry of the heart. It's, it, it's not shame, it's not condemnation, it's, it's, it's a cry of the heart that says, you know, Father, do that in me. Produce this thing out of me. Make me one of those. So it's important, you know, to have that attitude this morning. So let's talk about what is this church that Christ also loved. We know that the word is ecclesia. Um, and, and it has two parts in the Greek, kaleo to call, and ek, you know, which means out. So it, it literally means the called out ones. Right? So church is not this building. I'm sure you are aware of that. A more accurate translation would actually be assembly. That's what church is. So when, when Jesus said to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, of Hades, will not overcome it. He was, he was not talking about building. He was not talking about a building. He was not talking about a religion. He was talking about a type of people. So he says to him, on this rock, I will build my church. To build, maybe we have builders in the house, it's to construct, it's, you know, it's to design, it's to shape something. And so Jesus talks about the, in, the in, intention of actually building, working on and producing a people. And these people, he says, the gates of hell will not overcome them. This church will not be overcome by the gates of hell. We have sometimes not understood gates very well. Gates in, in, ancient, in, the, in, in the times of scripture signified a place of authority and power. It was like the civic center. So when they talk about gates, they talk about an area in the city where matters of the city were dealt with. Um, in some cases, it was also, you know, a central business district. But gates is headquarters, if you like. Uh, you know, uh, 
in, in Proverbs 31, when the Bible talks about uh, the virtuous woman, it says, the husband is known in the gates. Right? You know. Uh, they were busy with the administration of the, you know, the matters of the city, of the town, right? And so when it says gates, it's talk about, it talks about the authority of hell. It talks about the power of hell. And so the Bible says, if you then read it, it says, Jesus is saying, I will build a people who will overcome the authority and the power of the enemy. This is what Jesus is doing. Building a people who will overcome the authority and power of the enemy in their own lives and then in the lives of others. So Jesus was saying, I will design and I will build my people into agents, into viceroys. That's another way that is used in scripture. Equipped to take my mission forward. So the church is the agent of Christ to take his work forward. This for me is the mission of the church. So we, we were designed saints to, to overcome. We were designed by Jesus to incrementally in our own lives take authority back from the enemy. We overcome personally in certain areas of our lives as we mature, as we grow. And then God continues as, to give us areas of authority as, as time goes on, as we prove faithful. This is why the Bible says in Romans 16 verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The interesting thing about this particular verse is that the Bible says the God of peace will soon crush. It's, it's almost like a contradiction, right? The God of peace crushing. Uh, uh, but, 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 but actually, uh, it's not a contradiction. The, the Hebrew language um, is, a bit, is a bit strange in a sense because the, the, each has, they have letters uh, and the letter has sometimes a particular sound and a particular picture, a character. And these pictures or character, they give nuance uh, meanings. They reveal hidden meanings. Um, and so the word often translated shalom or wholeness has four characters that give a nuance, a deeper meaning. And those four characters are shin, lamed, vav, and mem. Right? So in the Hebrew, when they talk about shalom, that word is represented by those four characters, Shin, Lamed, Vav, and Mem. And what they mean together is to destroy the authority that creates disorder. So when the Bible says, the God of peace will soon crush the enemy under your feet, it talks, it, it's talking about the authority 
in Christ to destroy the works of the enemy in you, in your life and mine. When Jesus was about to go to the cross, he says, the enemy is coming after me, but he will find nothing in me. So what happens is that there are things in us, right? The enemy uses these things in us to compromise the will of God. And so, and so when he goes to the cross, when he was in, 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 in Gethsemane and battling with the will of God, battling with the carrying out the will of God, that similar, things, that similar thing happens to all of us. We, we, we have moments, we have times, we have trials in our lives when we battle with the will of God. But when we battle with the will of God, the enemy goes for things that are in us to compromise us, to cause us not to carry out the will of God. And that is why we have to overcome. That is why we have to bring these things that are in us, that compromise us. That anger will compromise you. That anger, if it's not dealt with, it compromises at, at critical moments when God wants to do something. Because all it will take is for the enemy to create a situation in front of you. And then it's all over. God's will, what he had intended to do through you and me, is compromised because there is something that the enemy has been able to hook in in our hearts to use, right? And so, Bazalona, it's important that we recognize that there are things that are in the way of God having this glorious church. One of them is that there are things in us that must be addressed. This is for us to be able to carry out the purpose, the purpose is for, for which God has called us. So let's talk about the glorious, a glorious church, you know, for a couple of minutes. You see, the church has been designed to be glorious. It's in we were established with the capacity to be glorious. The early church is an example of how glorious the church became. Their growth, their impact. It was just amazing. And, and interestingly, it was not just the leaders. It was everybody. Because at one point when the, the leaders felt you know, when there was a complaint um, and the leaders felt, you know, we can't handle this, you know, at, and the, the apostle says, said to, you know, to the church, choose among yourself, you know, people, you know, who are full of the Holy Spirit, people who are faithful. Out of them came Stephen and Philip. So the quality of the people who were followers of Jesus at the time was very high, that out of, you know, 
the rank and file, so to speak, would come Stephen, would come Philip. People who would go in, Philip went into Samaria and, and turned the city upside down. And even today, even as God prepares to restore the glory of his house, God is going to get us to a place where we, where we leave out the glory you know, of his house. The church started out glorious and it will end glorious. The church started out glorious and it will end glorious. This is something that Jesus will do. Your option and mine is whether we participate in it. It's not an option. We are not being asked. The Bible says he will present to himself a glorious church. This is something that God will do. But I want to suggest that there are a couple of things that hinder our capacity that hinders our ability to become glorious. And one of them I'll talk about this morning, it's our attitude towards disobedience. Our attitude towards obedience. We generally think that, you know, some of us at least, that disobedience does not matter. We live in a period of grace. Jesus said, how can you say you love me when you will not obey my commandments. Bazalona, it's time again for straight talk. John 4, verse 15, how will you say, how do you say you love me when you will not obey my commandments? Casually, disobey. You see, disobedience has consequences. The first consequences of, consequence of disobedience is that it hardens the heart. Con consequence number one, I'll talk about two. Disobedience hardens the heart. We must not play with disobedience as if disobedience doesn't count for anything. The Bible says, today when you hear his voice, what? Harden not your heart. As in the day of rebellion, like Israel did. This is Hebrews 3 verse 15. You'll find it elsewhere in scripture. But you see, disobedience when, it's, when it matures fully, it leads to deception. The truth you know, the truth you deny, the truth you do not live by, the truth you reject, the truth you play with, the truth that you sometimes can't see, the truth that disappears from you, and you no longer can see the truth. Because now it's completely out of your purview. You can't see it. It was here at one point. But it's moved completely away. 
and you get to a place where you don't even know you are deceived. We get to a place where we don't even know we are deceived. How does it start? It starts with us taking obedience, disobedience, lightly. So disobedience is not to be taken lightly. The second thing that I want to talk about is that without obedience, there can never be growth. We will not mature, Bazalwan. We, we can never attain maturity in the Lord without obedience. What is maturity? Personally, I say maturity is well defined in Scripture. It is becoming like Jesus. In any area of our lives where we are becoming like Jesus, we are maturing in that area of life. So maturity is a process where God transforms and changes us into the image of his son. Incidentally, I think this is the essence of the gospel. Like I was saying earlier, the essence of the gospel is not about going to heaven when we die. When people ask me, what is the gospel about? Why did God save us? Why did God send his son to save us? I, I go to Romans 8, 29. The Bible says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is why God saved us. To have a people who are being shaped, who are taking the shape of his firstborn son. A people with whom he'll share his nature. And that is why we need to that is, that is why diso- uh, obedience and disobedience is important. In fact, Paul understood this. In Galatians 4.19, he says, My little children whom I labor in birth again, till Christ is formed in you. Another version says, till Christ takes shape in you. And so, Apostle Paul, therefore, says, I am prepared to take you to go through labor pains, the process of birthing you again. I'm prepared to go through that. And I'm prepared to go through it over and over and over again because there's one, only one goal of this is that Christ should take shape in you. So, this issue of maturing to become, maturing into the likeness of Christ is an important thing. So what does that look like? Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit. And so as Alana, we must take this process seriously. Because often we get, sometimes we get hung up on doing church activity. Doing church activity is not as important as who you are becoming 
Who we are becoming is what God is after. You see, Jesus did not come to, cre- to, to establish what is called Christianity. Jesus did not come to establish a religion called Christendom. He came to reconcile people to the Father. He came to produce a people who, who will be unique on the face of the earth, whose lives will be different, who will be able to put him on display. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is, is John chapter 1. Somewhere around verse 18 it says, No one has seen God at any time except the begotten of God. And it says he is in the bosom of the Father. It says from there he has declared him. In the Amplified, it, it, it describes this declaration of God. It says he has revealed him. He has put him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him and he has made him known. God wants to be revealed. God is invisible. But he wants to work through you and I to be revealed. God wants to be accurately understood. God has been blamed for all manner of things in our society throughout generation, generations. And so God has you and I as agents that can reveal him. But it's impossible for us to reveal him, to put him out where he can be seen, to interpret him, and to make him known if like Jesus we don't spend time in his presence. We don't get to know him. We don't allow his, his life to transform and to change us into the same character of the Son of God. So now that we've spoken about what is church and the importance of what we are becoming, then we can talk about what we do when we come to church. What can we do in the assembly of believers? And I'll t- touch a couple of, of points in the time that, that, that is remaining. The first one is saving. We save one another. And we save from who God made us. It's not just random things that we do. But, but it, it, knowing what God has called you to do is not always a difficult thing. Sometimes we make it seem like it's impossible to know. What are you passionate about? You know, where does your mind always go to? Where does your heart, what pricks your heart? How are you gifted, naturally or spiritually? If you can sing like me, that's a clue. <laughs> Don't ignore the clue. Right? So, 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 so serving, uh, we serve God from who God has made us. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, we are God's masterpieces. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us to do 
long ago. So there are things that have been planned for us to do long ago. So we don't find our own things. We find what he has planned for us to do long ago, and we walk in those. And this thing of saving is important, uh, saints, because God has designed the church for all of us to have a place. That's why the Bible says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that the body has many members. All of us have a place. The role of each member of the body is honorable. The role of each member of the body is important. Any God-given thing is critical for us to, you know, to respect and to honor. And all of us must then take up our role in making sure that we, we play you know, our part. The Bible says he makes, in Ephesians 4 verse 16, it says in, in, in the NLT, it says he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. So each part has a special work. If that part does not do its special work, that work cannot be done. Because the eye cannot do the work of an ear. The eye has to do the work of an eye. It says, as each, part, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So you see how the body grows together as each part does its work. And so if one part of the body is not doing its work, the body suffers, the body cannot grow together as it should. And so it's important for us to understand then that we are called to save one another. Atemba was, was talking here earlier about, you know, the verse that says, you know, if you have a song, you know, uh, when we gather, if there's a song, if someone has a song, let them give it. But it's not just, you know, it's not just limited to songs, right? Um, if, you, if you read that, there's all manner of things. He was just focusing on on that particular one for, you know, for the context in which he was talking. And so it's important for all of us to then understand how and in what ways you know, God wants us to, to serve. The second thing that I want to talk about is that is important for us to do when we, when we are here is to honor one another. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians you know, 5 verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So what is this worldly point of view? The worldly point of view is usually about our prejudices. I will not hear, I will not receive from you because you are uneducated, because you are black, because you are white, because you are poor, because you are a man, because you are a woman, because you are old, because you are young, um, you know, because you are not one of us, you don't speak my language, you are a foreigner, you are... All of those things that we use to judge people outwardly 
make up what the Bible calls a world, worldly point of view. I don't decide whether what comes through you, from you, comes from the Lord or not, or whether I should receive it or not on the basis of what you look like, on the basis of what you have accomplished. So Paul says, from now on we regard no one that way. So honor, in fact, another version says, another you know, verse says, um, uh, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet receives the prophet's reward, right? So it's honor. So honor unlocks what is in another, you know, for us. And so when we dishonor, when we do not value, when we do not recognize, when we, when we do not accept um, people for, for who God has made them to serve us, we keep ourselves out you know, from receiving what God has for us, you know, through them. So, you know, the first, the first thing I, talk, I spoke about was saving, give, giving honor, and then the third, the third one is, you know, caring. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a, in a trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. But watch yourself, or you, you may also be tempted. Carry one another's burden, verse 2, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So we watch over one another. We restore each other in the spirit of gentleness. We carry each other's burdens. But we start by carrying our own burdens. As you continue to read that Galatians chapter 6, it talks about a place where, I think around verse 4, verse 5, it says, you must carry your own burden. Part of growing up is being able to carry our own burdens. If we do not get to a place where we carry our own burdens, where we always need help, where we always need support, then we are unavailable to be of support to anyone else. And maturity and growth is about being able to carry our own uh, burdens and being able to, in turn, be able to carry others. The next thing I want to talk about is Giving. The Bible says we need to honor the Lord with our wealth. Honor the Lord with our, with our substance. Uh, it's Proverbs you know, 3 verse 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your buns with grain and your vats, your vats will overflow with good wine. So we do not give to get. I know there is a, a movement that believes that. We do not give to get, but to honor God. And then when we honor God, then he fills our bands. And it's important to, to get it just accurately. 
Because we honor God with our substance, with our wealth. The Bible is, says he is the one that gives us the power to create wealth. So it's important to give, to tithe, to offer. Because the Bible also talks about, um, in 1 Timothy 5 verse 18, it says we should not muzzle an ox while it, it treads. Né? Um, and it was talking you know, specifically about supporting the work of the Lord um, with finances. And what they would do in the, in the, in the ancient times, and I think they still do it in, in, in some parts of, you know, of the Middle East, they would put a muzzle on an, os, uh, on an ox so that while it threads grain, it doesn't eat at the same time. And the problem with that is that it doesn't replenish itself so that it would continue working, right? And so God was, was, warning, you know, is warning, was warning Israel, because this comes from Deuteronomy 25, I think, um, and it's quoted you know, in, by Paul in, in, in 1 Timothy. He was warning Israel and believers that we must not muzzle, put a muzzle on the mouth of those that work among us, you know, so that they are not replenished, you know, so that when they work, they find it difficult because they have to worry about hunger, you know, and things like that. And the Bible says the, worth, the worker is worthy of his wages. So when we honor those who diligently work uh, to carry out the work of the Lord among us, we honor the Lord. Right? And we create an environment that supports their ability to serve us well without any constraints. And that is why it's important for us to give to the work of the Lord. The last thing that I want to mention is praying and intercession. James 5 verse 16, the Bible says, Therefore confess your sins to, to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So, part of the problem is that the church must become a community of trust, right? So that we can confess our sins to one another, one to another, right? But we do not trust each other to do that, right? Um, because we don't always hold people's confessions, struggles in confidence, so we undermine the health of, of a community you know, when we do not hold people's struggles, confessions, and confidence. And therefore what ends up happening is that no one wants to talk to anyone about the struggles that they have. And then we die alone. We fall into the hands of the enemy because he wants to isolate us, he wants to um, you know, cause us to be ashamed because there is a shame that leads to death and the enemy wants to keep us there. When the Bible says there is now no more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Let us create a community of trust where people can confide in us without having to worry you know, if, you know, what they told us in confidence 
you know, is, is now going to be known, you know, everywhere. And the interesting thing, the Bible says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. There are some things that will, healing will not come. Sometimes there are things in our lives that require that we, we find people we can trust. Believers who who love the Lord, who are mature, that we can speak to so that we might be healed. That they will pray for us so that we might be healed. I have the fortune of having a couple of people like that. That I can go to with my struggles. I have a friend who you know, if, if anyone can destroy me, is that guy. Because he, he knows me generally as I know myself. But choose people like that carefully. Choose people like that prayerfully. But you need to have people like that. We, we all need people like that. Because Maturing is a process, but it's a process that we need to commit to. It's a process that God calls us to. We are not going to become like Jesus overnight. And so he calls us to commit to the process of becoming like him. The process of dealing with the things that are in our hearts. And so I want to leave you with this thought, which is a repeat of what I said earlier. Jesus said, the enemy is coming after me, and he will find nothing in me. What is in you? That the enemy can use to compromise what God seeks to do through you and through all of us. What is in me? I invite you to search through this amazing book. Let it challenge you. Let it examine you. There is a place we, that I believe God wants to get us to, and, and that place is not being afraid to be examined in the light. John chapter 3 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, perish but, but should live. He says, He he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, verse 17, but that through him the world might be saved. But then it says, but condemnation remains in the world. Why? Because people love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. So, light comes 
but people run away from the light and so they cannot be helped. What God wants to do with you and I is that he wants us to run to the light. The enemy has taught us, has, has whispered a lie in our, in our heads, in our hearts, that when we have struggles, when we have sinned, we should run away from the presence of God. Can I suggest to you that the first place you must go is the very presence of God. That's where our help comes from. Amen. God wants us to deal with our struggles in his presence. The experience that Jesus had in, in, in Gethsemane when he was struggling with the will of God, he was not struggling with sin, he was struggling with the will of God, but, but he was struggling with the will of God in the presence of the Lord. So the presence of the Lord is the best place where we become transparent and we say, Father, you know, search me and know me. There is this thing in me that compromises me. Deal with it. I lay it at your feet. Give me something to kill it with. And when we do that and we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, he progressively moves us from one level of glory to the next. Amen. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among those that are being sanctified. Amen.